Bienvenidos a nuestro SAS. A place for nuestra gente, our people. We're here to share our history and experience as Southerners in the U.S. Our stories haven't been taught in school. Now, we control the narrative. This is for us, y'all. It's the roaring 1920s in the United States. Factories in the North and South were churning out manufactured goods. Much of this manufacturing was dependent on natural resources like cotton grown in the South. Since the end of slavery, plantation owners relied on African-American sharecroppers to produce cotton. Under this system, the plantation owner would rent a plot of land to the sharecropper. The sharecropper would then plant, grow, harvest, and sell their crops exclusively to the plantation owner. African-American sharecroppers began leaving their plots of land behind for factory jobs. The U.S. needed more workers, and Mexicanos seeking an opportunity to be part of the booming U.S. economy heard the call. Agricultural workers primarily fanned out across Texas and California. Despite facing racial hostility and segregation, farm workers had a community, schools, and a common language. But their wages were obscenely low. Rafael and Marta Landrove were farm workers with young children in southeast Texas. His family picked cotton for El Patron to sell. One evening, in a church, two Spanish-speaking labor agents gathered a group of Mexican farm workers to propose a business opportunity. Relocate to the Mississippi Delta, rent out plots of lands, plant, grow, harvest, and sell it to the landowner. The more you can produce, the more you make. The price of cotton was high in a booming economy. Unlike Texas, the labor agent said, Mexicanos in Mississippi would be able to advance economically. The Bolivar County School District had segregated schools by black and white students. So the Landroves and other families built a schoolhouse on one of the plantations and hired a Tejana school teacher to teach their children Mexican traditions. But soon, the Tejana school teacher chose to return home. Landrove's daughter, Hortensia, was a good student without a teacher. Therefore, Rafael asked the plantation owners to help him get his daughter to attend the white school. The plantation owners obliged with the condition that Hortensia only attended half of the year so she could pick cotton during the fall harvest. The Great Depression had begun, people lost their jobs, production halted, and the price of cotton bottomed out. In the spring of 1930, Landrove was hit by a rude awakening. The value of his harvest had plummeted, and he was still responsible for paying his debt to the plantation owners. What's more, Hortensia was kicked out of the white school because she was Mexican. The Landrove family was not deterred by the economy, the plantation owner, or the Bolivar County School District. Rafael Landrove made his case to the Mexican government. And in turn, the Mexican government contacted the governor of Mississippi. And within the year, Governor Theodore Bilbo notified the superintendent of the Bolivar County School District that Hortensia Landrove must be readmitted to the white school. That's so interesting. Like the way, the way that they went about accessing those opportunities for their kids. Um, and the fact that you say that they're like financially independent because when I think about um, what my family has done to kind of like take those steps to provide me with opportunities that they didn't have, um, I don't, 
I feel like the typical storyline is like moving in to like the suburbs, like people trying to get access to like those white spaces for the opportunity to like, oh, like my, my parents com commuted all the way over here so that I could go to like this school, which is usually white. Like those are kind of like the narratives that I'm used to hearing about, you know, people whose parents like trying to access some opportunities for them. But um, what I think of is like my parents decided to move to the South to um north carolina from california and i always thought that was like just a weird move um but it was because the cost of living was so much lower in rural north carolina and so for us what that meant was leaving behind schools that were like just objectively had more like opportunities to go to like these rural schools with like a hundred kids per grade and that was their version of getting me opportunity that they didn't have because the alternative was like living or struggling to get by. I mean, of course we still struggled, but like the cost of living just made such a huge difference that we might have had to leave California altogether and go back um, to Mexico. So that's kind of like the biggest thing I think of. Wow, there's so much. Um, I mean, I, I think I try to think about kind of that that question of like, you know, how has our families navigated that uh basically opening up our opportunities to to be here and i mean i'm trying to get away from like well we came here <laughs> right i'm trying to get away to like what has happened here um and i mean yeah other than coming here which was everything essentially and and one of that was i it's all thanks to my uncle who who brought us here um and just wanted to give me, my mom, my little sister, me and his daughter an opportunity. I look at the picture and I guess I, I try to evaluate, I guess, not only the sacrifice of leaving home for my family, but also like who my mom was at least aspiring to be over there. Um, and so you have the, the picture with their professional and then you talk about how they're like, you know, actually just like, you know, manual labor. Uh, but then like that's that's what my parents became right that's that's what my mom became my mom was actually lucky enough to uh, out of her all, all her siblings she managed to go through school it was always like working in early in the mornings but then like doing like you know all the way up to high school and she was like a secretary I would actually go visit her and uh, she was like aspiring to be something over there but then the whole years it was about a decade right that she spent just working um in a meat department in a grocery store uh initially like for the second shift so initially it was her not being home but then later on once she was with my stepdad they started kind of establishing themselves as people who had like some leadership within this store but like you know who she was as a person even as a profession in Honduras she couldn't represent here right especially because of like just the language barrier so we never did the school shopping but I think, um, I guess I got that from them, that there was some sense of value, some sense of purpose, and uh, and they were just always supportive. And what I see now is that, like, I was at least helpful to get some of those extra things from other individuals, and they were just supporting me, you know, con plata comida, <laughs> with just, like, a home. But with my youngest sister, it's it's completely different, right? We're talking about what is the school for her okay when do we get like the resources especially right now right it's online classes like do we make sure that we have a computer for her to use right um my little sister 
my middle sister would always complain that the youngest one got to be in a gymnastics thing. <laughs> and it's just like you learn that over time as you've like gone through one child, the second child, the third child that, hey, we can do some extra things and we know how to maybe sign them up for it. Or we maybe have some extra cash to be able to pay for these classes. So, uh, yeah, it's definitely changed over time uh, throughout the different siblings. Wow, definitely. It like it's it's so like it's so based in the fact that like we're looking for I think we're all just like looking for like the space to like where can we flex out and like try to like achieve more like for the Landrovid family uh especially in like the 1930s like whether they're like whether it's like upper mobility uh or just like their schools um where they lived like uh the entire time they were trying to cooperate with like white supremacy um and uh like today while there are like different forms of that um we're just like always having those conversations about like how can we like move to the next step um without like sacrificing uh something that you've like already gained but uh what do those like kind of conversations sound like like around your family tables or just like at home i think um whenever the topic of like or the topic of white supremacy, like dismantling white supremacy, like a lot of the words that we use when having these discussions about like race and power are sometimes seem a little bit too intellectual, but I really um, found that the fact that the media was covering so much of the, um, the Black Lives Matter protests that happened this summer and that are still going on right now um, was very useful for, um, kind of like us to just explicitly give like more agency to talk about that um kind of like at, a, at the family table because my mom was literally like yeah like I um I want to like I would want to go like during the protests and stuff but like because of like different status and stuff like is that ideal and then she's like she we start talking about the things that you know as immigrants things that they're deprived of but then it's like what but being black is just like this whole other thing with just a history that we don't have here. So the way that it ends up always going for us is turning towards like um, colorism and like the fact that in Mexico, that's something that my parents are very like familiar with. And especially being from like one of the Southern states um, of Guerrero and seeing that the, the darker you get, the more like jokes that there are and just like the the colorist like racist like remarks that people will make if you're once you get more on like the darker side especially like um those like southern states so kind of like contrasting the racial caste system there versus like here has been a very um interesting thing for my family to kind of like think about how we fit in the role of white supremacy here too ah there's this thing as 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 a when i was younger that you know again there's a process of reflection that takes that is required for this but when i was younger you know a lot of the times as immigrants uh and particularly undocumented immigrants who like pride themselves on like working hard and stuff um like you would see a person in the corner and be like si tiene papeles like por qué no trabaja right and like mm -hmm. that it's just those words and that mentality that comes from that i think is so dangerous right because we uh either as immigrants or like children of immigrants or anything uh we grow up with the sense again that you can work for it and maybe we have a better standard of living than our families would have in, in in other countries but for the most part we're still poor 
right? We're still poor and then don't recognize that maybe we don't have a government or a state that provides us resources, right? That we are not getting the adequate health care by going to these like very low income like community health centers, which is what my mom was able to take us to, or that we're actually not being able to get like the fresh produce because of like the stores that we have. So like it's it's insane to kind of buy into this sense that like uh it, like I said earlier in this country you can work and you can make it when we're not making it anywhere, right? Like there's there's no like Just like immense it, yeah, yeah there's no immense process and then like we fall into this thing like oh so then they don't do it. And also like they just didn't work hard enough. And that is so dangerous when you talk about race because that's how you end up pitting groups against each other when we're essentially in the same boat. Uh, in terms of like, uh, we kind of talked in the picture about like kind of access to schools. I mean, one of the spaces that I remember like being in school, it wasn't essentially my family, but like, you know, I was that, you know, one Hispanic kid that was in like the honors or the, or the AP class, right? And like, you know, maybe there's, and it's it's crazy because there's pride in that. They're like, wow, I did it. I succeeded. But like, what filtered out people like that maybe are a little bit different than you? Maybe what what was something that like allowed a teacher to identify you like, oh yeah, he's smart, but not like the others, right? So there's a lot there to unpack. I and mean, you are a little white passing. <laughs> it's true. <laughs> it's true, right? It's yeah. true. And, and, and yeah. that happens. No, for sure. And I think uh, in this instance, like Hortensia Landrove, like was giving access to the white schools in, in Mississippi, in Mississippi Delta in like the 1930s. Um, but I think a question that I would like to ask you all is like, what do you suppose uh, it took to like just having to navigate the social and like racialized environment at the time? Ooh, yeah. So, um, especially with that part of their story, even after uh, Rafael Androve like won and like got the daughter into um, into the white school, uh, like was it just like um, on autopilot from there? Like, did she still get treated like all the other kids, or like did they just know that she was different? You know, like the same way that just kids just know. Um, and like uh because it was mississippi and because it was like 1930 um <clears throat> like the only conversations like about race they were having were like uh como vamos a mejorar la raza right um saying that we were like we're like definitely separate from like being black um and like now while we definitely have that agency like to have those conversations and we like make it like our responsibility to do so uh, navigating like um, these spaces like with no concept of like your race or ethnicity is like something that's just like very um, confusing like in this small term like confusing um, the things that help me like navigate like these non-binary thing non-binary spaces like came when um, I was lucky enough to like encounter other people that like um, like understood those things and like it wasn't something that was being taught in like every public school and uh, every public school I was like um I fit in with all of, like the white kids because I could like keep up in their classes but I wasn't white and I didn't have like that generational wealth that um <clears throat> came with all the experiences they had all the tutoring uh so like on the other side I fit in with all of the black kids 
um, at school because like I just like wasn't white and <laughs> <laughs> yeah like um, uh, it's it's just like a really interesting thing when like um, yes. you're supposed to like you're just supposed to fit in somewhere and like your space hasn't been developed yet I think that's what I was trying to get at yeah, yeah. <laughs> I just wasn't white no yeah I get that um um just like navigating like a predominantly white school today um I knew and I talk about this with my roommates so one of my roommates her family immigrated from Bangladesh and my other roommate um is black um descendants of enslaved people and um we talk about how we're so glad to be rooming together because it would just be difficult to on top of like the fact that the majority of our professors being white and then like a majority of like our classmates like being white like if we also had to share um like if also there was just no space to to not be surrounded all the time by just majority like white like a space so it's um it's been something like that you need to hold on to having that support system that understands what it is to not be white and that kind of sucks because it makes it seem like we're everything revolves around if you're white or not like white is like the neutral like and then it's like oh then are you not the like norm neutral which it sucks discussing it like that and framing it like that because it's not like that um it's definitely a a process of like figuring out how you fit in those those spaces yeah. i was asked once asked in uh it was in high school <laughs> uh by by another friend he was also hispanic he was he was um born here and he was like if you're if, if you're like if you're in the 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 smart classes why do you live in the ghetto <laughs> i thought that was so interesting uh, <laughs> i was yes. like bro i can be what? poor <laughs> i can be poor and still like what? you know <laughs> um but like i there's just like you know there's just these experiences that happen that um so my family first got to new york that was the first place we touched down um when we got here from honduras and I remember little bits and pieces of there. If anything, it's just like, you know, this place that has so many types of different people. And specifically, there's a lot of Spanish immigrants and stuff like that. But then we came to to Charlotte, um, North Carolina, and then navigating that space uh, in the South. I think you develop, especially now, years after, you develop this kind of, I guess the, it's a weird word to say literacy, but like basically, let's put it this mm. way, finesse in terms of, you know navigating these different environments brian was saying like hey i was like i could hang out with the white kids but then also with with the black kids and then like i think that's kind of what you develop that muscle to be able to like communicate differently essentially code switch right and we already do it we already do it with like you know our own culture our own language and then like just all american language and english and stuff and culture but in terms of race we do it as well and then i think to me, I saw it as, I saw it as an asset, really. I because um, I didn't get the privilege of growing up with like other Honduras Hondurans because essentially it was only just us, my immediate family. But then like I prided myself on having like a Puerto Rican friend, a Colombian friend. So like I appreciated that difference. And given that you are 
stuck between a binary in the South, I think I learned to also like appreciate that space that I, I, I developed and like, you know, probably kind of be communicate with, with both. And so in high school, it was one thing, um, but I think in college and now like feeling confident that I can say like the South is my home. It's about like, how can I like build this place better with others? who come from different experiences, uh, whether that's black, whether that's other immigrants, whether it's like poor Southern white folks, right? That like, we essentially have lived in the same place. And like, like I, especially in the setting I am now, I'm like trying to think of like, how can I connect with these folks? Like I literally like went to school with many of them. I, you know, grew up in the same place. I had teachers who were awesome teachers in my head, but like politically, maybe they're thinking completely different and i'm like how can i sit down with you and just engage in these like conflicting like realities and perspectives when we've had and share on those like like lives that we've lived in this place so like that geography is super important and then like it's like kind of like a like a what is it it's like a chessboard that we have mm-hmm. to like essentially play within uh which is yeah the south i i really do like that analogy of like the chessboard just because like when i when i think of like what it just like takes to like live in the south and like like truly live i guess um i have to be like um i have to be whiter sometimes and then like uh well honestly i have to be white a lot of the time um just because like uh that's what got like teachers to notice me that's like um what got teachers to like recommend me for things uh and i think it was something that my mom knew like a lot better than i did like at such a young age and like she definitely just did not have like the words for it like at all but uh dorian you can just like throw up this picture like up there of like this picture that my mom dug up like a while ago when she was going through photo albums and then we just like all know photo albums are like the archives of like the family of like your entire history here right um and family heirlooms yes uh like a little bible testament everything but um there's this picture of me that's like like back when i was younger my hair was just like like dead straight and um my mom took me yeah no longer it's just it's just like dried up and you know um but uh my mom took me to the back of this uh supermarket called uh los primos and like they had like this little outfit for me like she like sent the measurements like a while ago but um i had like a little dapper vest a little dress shirt on uh my like pants were cuffed and i had like a pager boy hat and like um i was i was like uh on this little like tricycle uh <laughs> yeah i was on this little tricycle and like for my mom it was like oh yeah from here it was just like straight for the stars right and um I look like a little like sickly Victorian child uh and that's what I tell like everybody um and like looking back on that now I realize like she wanted me to just like look more white and like um uh as like and she was like really happy with that like she found that as like some like source of pride for her so um like when I think about that I think about like again like what it means to be like in north or south uh, like we do so many things just to like fit in uh 
and that like there's so many opportunities out there that will only come to us if we like fit in uh, and that's like our access to healthcare, our schools uh just like everything our parents are fighting for uh whether it's like a hundred years ago like navigating jim crow um uh, just like all comes back to like those opportunities we change the way we dress we change the way we talk um and like it, it will always have me thinking like what does it mean to like uh fit in in north or south you know like we do all these things just to like make sure we're in like some in-group uh, and that there are like so many opportunities out there that will only be offered to us like when we fit in uh, and that'll be like our access to healthcare, our schools and like just everything our parents were fighting for but now now we have we have the space to like establish ourselves past uh more than just like our latinidad uh I can express like how I love being like Honduran um, and like still in the South and embracing everything that comes with that. Regardless of how we dress, uh, we want to look professional, uh, what we, what we might've been like as kids, um, like we play that part until we get to a point where we can like fully bloom, you know? And like, that is how like we navigate North or South today. Um, because that's like what we can do. Like today we have the, yeah, Today we have the opportunity to like truly be ourselves. This is for us, y'all. Representation matters. Nuestra gente, we want to hear from you. If this content resonates with you, be sure to hit like and subscribe.